0: This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh and I'm here today with Pastor Brandon Starnes and we want to welcome you back for another episode. This is actually our concluding episode for the season. So just wanted to point that out to you and we want to encourage you. Visit our Facebook page, it's facebook.com forward slash Min. message us, share us, like us for the quickest updates that are put out, their memes, verses, quotes, etc. Also, make sure you check out the RW blog, and you can find that at svbcpa.org forward slash rwblog. And also, we just want to tell you, we may be concluding this season, but Be on the lookout. Season 2 will drop here in the spring of 2023. So if you would like us to consider a specific topic, message us. Uh, Hey, if you want to send us paper mail, you can do that too. You can find our uh, church's mailing address online as well. So however you want to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you, and we're excited about it. We're already kicking around some ideas, so get your ideas in quick so we can consider them as we look at season number two. Uh, In the meantime, you'll find a few specials popping up as we wait for season two to drop here in the spring. So we've recently been looking at attributes that come from someone that's rejoicing. And why don't you go
1: through a couple of those, passages? We're looking at the Apostle Paul's life he uses there in chapter one. I think there are about 13 times he uses the pronoun I. And so that's preserved for us. Uh, The Lord allowed him to give his heartfelt, true thoughts on how he perceived or felt of certain things. And you see, he was one that rejoiced in the Lord. And because of such, he's thankful to God for the saints that are at Rome. He's engaged in genuine, heartfelt service. He is uh, has a level of submissiveness in his spirit is uh, a loving spirit, humility in his spirit, fruitfulness in his life. He's obedient. Last week, we spoke on the topic of eager service. And of course, we're cutting a little short on this because you, you really could go on about these attributes for an indefinite period of time. There are so many different avenues that could be exam, examined with regards of one that is uh, rejoicing in the Lord the attributes of their life. Well, one that we wanted to touch on, we just didn't get to is boldness. Yeah, we're going to have to move that to the next season, but, but man, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the apostle Paul says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek." And that's a powerful sentiment there because of his security that is found in Jesus Christ because of the empowerment of the Spirit of God. Here's a man that rejoiced at every opportunity and had boldness in preaching the gospel. I know we're not really going into this, but think about when he was before Aquila and or rather Agrippa and Festus boldness there in second Timothy chapter number four, boldness as he was giving his first answer and and such a um, an aspect or attribute should be present in our lives as well that there's boldness and that boldness is really found. In the joy of the Lord, as Nehemiah said, that is our strength. But Mm. as we're wrapping up this final season, we thought that we would leave you with this thought. Final episode. It's our final Final episode. episode. Thanks for the correction. Not our final season. Back that up. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad.
0: Here's a statement that is not often heard. So say you and I are walking past each other on the way to work. I'd say, hey, hey, Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm okay, just fine.
1: Sometimes, sometimes you ask that question, and wish you hadn't. Enough. That's true. <laughs> you get more than you get bargained for, Ugh. but you never hear, "Hey, I'm,
0: I'm rejoicing. rejoicing and
1: exceedingly glad." That's not something that you ever hear. But there's great context to this
0: scripture. This is a statement that is often heard in today's age. Usually, whenever you ask someone how they are, you know they'll say, "Oh, I'm just okay," or. I mean, at very best, you hear, oh, better than I deserve. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> but to hear someone say, and for our heart's attitude really ought to be, I am rejoicing. I'm exceeding glad. All time and oh. in all places, rejo-
1: uh, joy in the Lord always, the scripture says.
0: And here in the context of scriptures, we are coming out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 today. And in the context of scripture, this phrase is in reference to looking for the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Let me read those two verses for you. First Peter 1, 8 and 9. Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And in this passage, we see really the extent of the believers rejoicing. The child of God believes, and that is why he rejoices even without seeing. In that passage there, we see that although we don't see Christ currently, we don't see him with our physical eye, um, but yet we're rejoicing. And we rejoice in faith. We rejoice as we look for his glorious appearing. And I think if Titus talks about that, we're looking for that blessed hope.
1: Yes, he does in chapter 2. In First Peter, the theme is suffering and trials. If ever there was a time in the Christian life where joy should and ought to be present in the believer. It's in time when there's heaviness, when there's sorrow, when there's trials of life, when there's that unexpected prognosis, when there's that unanticipated event, uh, that untimed cost, whatever it is, and those come upon us, and those are the times where we often have the least joy to express in our life. But yet Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think
0: it's interesting there. He says, the phrase is used, joy unspeakable. And really, if we're going to measure our joy to think that our our joy that we have in Christ is unspeakable, it's so grand that our voice, our, our tongue, our words can't
1: even do it justice. Unutterable. I, I just can't express it because I am overwhelmed with its truest extent. And that's that joy of the Lord that keeps us, guards us as the expression of the deepest intents of the realization of Jesus Christ.
0: And we'll look at this here in a second, but verse 7, which we didn't read, he just finishes talking about trials of their faith. And then he goes right into it and says, but now you rejoice with joy unspeakable.
1: Despite them.
0: Right. Despite the trials.
1: Yes. You know, that's, that's a key phrase there, full of glory. Um, the believer is to rejoice, and that believer's rejoicing brings glory to God. It's the highest attainment of our Christian life. It's the highest thing that we could do. Ephesians chapter number 3, he speaks on this. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ, world without end. Amen. I think of
0: another one, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God
1: the sentiment to do all to the glory of god it's it's him that has saved us uh, it is the lord god that you know has redeemed us he has called us he has a purpose he has a will for us therefore part of my christian maturity and growth ought to be a desire in whatsoever state to bring glory to god
0: and you know this isn't in our in our notes here but i think that one one thing that sets apart rejoicing of the believer and brings god glory is because if you just look around you there is so little rejoicing going on that someone who is exceedingly rejoicing, someone that is has joy unspeakable in their life, especially in trials, that just stands out in a whole new way from the world around us.
1: Oh, absolutely! Uh, usually in the secular, if we could use in that expression, in the secular aspect in this society, I mean, you you've got anger and hatred and malice and envying in every work of the flesh, and sometimes you have blame. Uh, some terrible thing falling out into you. Peter, even later, I think, or is it James said, think it not strange. But we look at it and say, well, that n- nobody has it as bad as I can. Or, oh boy, I wish this didn't happen to me. Instead of realizing that sometimes suffering, and you see this in the life of Job, is a direct avenue that God gives us that brings about uh, our participation and bring glory to God.
0: And, you know, anytime a trial comes into our life, whether it's, you know, you stubbed your toe or the car breaks down or a health problem or one of your children is suffering or something like that. Every time we have a trial come into our life, there's – and maybe it's an unconscious decision, but there's a decision that we make, and that is how are we going to respond. And so for the believer I, – I,
1: I think it's times like that that you've got to be able to have things. Call them a bedrock, a foundation of, of – you know, so much of being successful in overcoming – uh, fleshly attitudes and fleshly temperaments, deals with preparation of the mind. So, look, I didn't ask for these sufferings. Right. I didn't ask for these trials. But how am I going to, Peter uses this, gird up the loins of your mind? What am I going to do to do so? And I think part of that is having in your mind uh, the aspect of things that you can give joy and rejoicing and hearkening back to a couple of weeks ago, thanks for. Hmm.
0: Let's talk about some of the ways our rejoicing brings glory to God. Sure. So as as we're rejoicing, how does that bring glory to God? I think the first one that we could look at is when we rejoice in our salvation. That's something that brings glory to God.
1: Well, after all, that's an abundant mercy. It is. I think of Titus chapter 3 and referencing what we were sometime before. Yep. Deceitful haters, etc. He says in verse number four, but after the kindness and the love of God, our savior towards man appeared, not of works of righteousness as we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our savior.
0: Speaking of that word abundantly, when we rejoice in our salvation, we're showing others God's abundant mercy.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Sometimes I, th- I think we get the idea that God was just so fortunate that he could save us. That somehow, man, he should just ingratiate himself to us. But biblically, truthfully, they are the same. Biblically and truthfully, uh, the fact is it was kindness.
0: Well, Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's I mean, a humbling. He,
1: he was the, he is the divine God in whom was no sin, neither guile found in his mouth. And yet he died the death that I should have died. Sin was placed upon him. That's his kindness towards me. If I had nothing elsewhere with to rejoice in a time of suffering, I could say, man, praise the Lord that God's God, uh, kindness and love appeared to me uh, at, through salvation, my faith in him. And it is abundantly. Mm-hmm. I think of John ten ten. 10. The thief cometh not but to kill and to steal and destroy, but I am come that they might have life, and that more More. abundant. Another thing that we can rejoice in, and another thing that
0: uh, we show others whenever we rejoice in our salvation, is that we have a lively hope. And verse 3 talks about that. Um, It says, His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I think of that as a believer, because of my salvation, because of Christ's resurrection from the dead. I have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not a stagnant hope. It's it's a living hope. It lives. That hope is living with me.
1: It, it is, if you will, the surety. That phrase, lively hope. It is the surety of my expectation. You know, there's some things in life I'm sure about. I called a tax collector once, and he said, "There's always two things you can be sure of: death and taxes." Well, as a Christian. I would say there's a third one, and that is I'm going to be in the presence of my Lord one day. Amen. It's a lively hope. There's a surety. I am just as sure of my salvation as if I was already there. That's that lively hope he's given unto me. Mm -hmm. He is the first fruit of my inheritance because he rose from the grave. That's the promise that one day I'll live again.
0: Yeah. Another thing we find that we show others, we bring glory to God when we rejoice in our salvation because we show the inheritance that he has reserved for you and I. And we come and find that in verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. What a beautiful thing that is. We have a home. We have a name. We have a reward. There's all kinds of things that we have. We are given an inheritance.
1: I think about the fact that I have a family. You know, the psalmist, I think it's the 66th psalm, he has set the solitary into families. Mm. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, I am accepted in the beloved. What a glorious thought. You know, sometimes folks go through sufferings and, and it's loneliness. I, I think about Charles Weigel. No one cared for me like Jesus. Right. There's no other friend so kind as he. Uh, the fact is, sometimes people go through a time of loneliness that maybe I could never empathize with. Right. But guess what? I have that. Inheritance reserved for me. I have a family, beloved. What manner of love hath the Father bestowed on us that you should be called the sons of God? What a glorious sentiment!
0: I think it's it's a wonderful thing that we get to experience some of that here on earth. We have brethren in Christ here absolutely. on earth, absolutely. But one day we're going to be in heaven for eternity, and we are going to be part of the. I mean, we're already part of the family of the God if you've trusted Christ by faith. But we're going to be living for all eternity as part of a family. With the saints of God, absolutely. When you rejoice in seasons of heaviness, grief, and sorrow, just another way that we bring glory to God. Yes, and that it's full of
1: glory. Full of glory. You know, that word heaviness, it has the idea of deep sorrow and grief. Um, there, as we said earlier, suffering is really the theme of 1 Peter. And, and when you consider the fact of how prevalent trials were in the time of great believers in the scriptures, I think of Peter, uh, to a regard, I think of Timothy, I no doubt think of Paul as well. But trials give us the opportunity, they're a divine uh, appointment, if you will, that prevent us, uh, present us rather with the opportunities to show forth praise, honor, and glory that God, of course. Is due. He is due. Uh, Romans, I think it's chapter 8, has much to say about sufferings and groanings. Yeah,
0: verse 18 says this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And sufferings are a chief way that God shapes us into the image of Christ. They are how God molds us into holiness, and they are the method that God uses to purge us. I think here in verse 7 we see this. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory. As trials come in our life, it's something that shapes us. It's something that purifies us as a fire would
1: purify that gold. Sure, you said just a moment ago that sufferings are a chief way that God shapes us. I think of John 15 where you find those... Uh, several times in that passage about remaining and abiding the vine and the branch. Yes, and and it, it links well with this these passages here in first Peter chapter one. But but he says, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth fruit, or beareth not fruit rather, he taketh away, and then every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. I mean, I know that we're in the wrong season to talk about purging. But the fact is, we know this to be true, that you take that fruit tree or that fruit bush and as it bears you, prune it a little bit so that next year when it comes back, it will have any more. So if you are a faithful child of God abiding, you're gonna bear fruit and God would have you bear more fruit and ultimately the superlative of much fruit. And the chief way he does that he purges you. You know, it's interesting Sufferings.
0: talking about the branch and purging and stuff. Uh, often it's in times of difficulty that God purges us, the dark times, um, maybe the cold times. You know you know what time of year they purge the grapes? They do Ooh. it in the wintertime. Is that it's right? It's cold and dark. They actually <laughs> would, they'll actually be starting to do it here in January. And you go out there and you start purging and preparing for the next season, but it's a dark and cold time. And I think about in our lives, that's kind of a picture of... Oftentimes, we wish that all the shaping, all the molding, all the purging could be done during the bright and summery days. But in reality, it's often through the trials, the darkness, the cold times, um whenever we can even feel, you know, our farthest away from where we need to be with God. But it's during those dark times that the father, the husbandman comes in and is actually the closest to those branches, and he's purging them.
1: Yeah. Um, what's another way that we can do well, that? I think another way is looking at the end of our faith. He says there in 1 Peter, uh, I think it's chapter 1 here in verse number 9, he references that very sentiment that we rejoice all the way to the end of that faith, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. I think that great joy produces in an estimate of the fullness of glory of God because it is a constant, present deliverance, not only from just the penalty of sin and the power of sin now, but I could not help but think ahead and know that my future, my future is secure as well. Mm, Amen. Well, let's look at some present things that we're also,
0: that we're, uh, that we're freed from.
1: Yeah, in regards to our salvation. Yes. You know, sometimes we do think that salvation is all about what will be. You know, we spoke a moment ago about the inheritance, the hope, the name, uh the, the family et cetera. but right now right now i have uh, present if you will fruit of salvation in my life i think one of those would be i am free from guilt hmm. colossians tells us about the blotting out of the handwriting of the ordinance which which was contrary to us it was against us it was contrary to us and it was nailed to the cross hmm. i thank god that when he died for our sins uh he also died for them in their fullness I need not be burdened and, 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 and I won't say bothered, but weighed down. Right. By the element of guilt over a sin in the past when I knew not the Almighty God. God saved me not only for those sins, not only the penalty of those sins, but He saved me from the guilt of those sins as well. Mm, that's a wonderful thing. And the condemnation would be another one. Uh, there is therefore now. No condemnation. No condemnation, those which are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8, and later he's going to talk about uh, the sureness by which we know that we are the sons of God. I'm not condemned. Uh, I am on my way to heaven when I have finished my life's journey. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And then when we think, of course, of condemnation, I can't help but think of wrath. Uh, And the scripture says in Romans chapter 5 that he has saved us from the wrath that is to come as well. When God pours out His wrath upon this society, I won't be a part of it. I'll be in the presence of my Savior who has loved me and given Himself for me. And of course, then when we think of salvation, another fruit I would think of is I'm saved from ignorance. Hmm. You know, in Titus chapter three, we're, we're working through a portion of this in Sunday school. He talks about that there was that time past when we were foolish. And that's the, that's the idea of foolishness. It means no knowledge. Right. I, I, you know. Some of that's inherited, some of that's received, etc. I just had no knowledge. Um, I, I went along with what the God of this world had led me to. I was ignorant, Right. and I praise the Lord that I am not ignorant. Salvation has illuminated my eyes. It's the gospel of light, and I know things. I know things about the Lord. I know who God is. I know what God wants. I know what God has provided, and I know how I ought to please God in this life. I know him. That was the prayer that Paul paid, prayed for the Colossae church too—that they would have a full knowledge right. of him. In Titus chapter three, it's as we just mentioned—it's a reference there. I'm no longer foolish; I'm a son of heaven. Well, we're also free from distress.
0: Another great thing we can rejoice in—we're also free from dominion, the dominion of sin in particular. In yes,
1: Romans chapter six. I don't have to yield my members to unrighteousness all these things to rejoice in and just as we look at our verse there
0: as you rejoice till you receive the end of your faith using some of that uh, the wording there in verse 9 and we have all these things to rejoice in and rejoice that we're free from sin's guilt we're free from condemnation we're free from wrath we're free from ignorance we can rejoice in that we don't have to be in distress and that sin does not have to have dominion in our mortal bodies And think of the grand difference as a believer comes to the end of their earthly race versus the lost man. The believer possesses the ability to rejoice to to the the end end of their faith. It's not just their end. uh, It's not just the believer's end. It's It's it's, that point where where their faith becomes sight. Yes, exactly, exactly. So we are able to rejoice to the point when our faith becomes sight, and we see and we are forever with the Lord. Um, There's some closing thoughts here. The believer's rejoicing reflects the glory of God. If we can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory today, imagine the measure of rejoicing that will be taking place when the believer's faith
1: becomes sight for all eternity. Mind you the words of Charles Gabriel, the hymnist from the last century, really maybe the century before that as well, but he said, when all my labors and trials were o'er, And I am safe on that beautiful shore. Just to be near the dear Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. Glory for me. When I at last look on his face, that will be glory for glory for me.
0: There is no reason for believers to lose their joy. Even when pressed with great heaviness, the present and future both rely on the fellowship we have with Christ. And to wrap up this final episode of season number one, we have this verse for you, John chapter 15, verse 11. The scripture says this, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And until the spring of 2023, when we start and launch drop season number two we want to challenge you to continue rejoicing in the word thank you for listening